Thank you so much. So yeah, thank you for having me today. Um, I can already see some familiar faces I know here. Um, and it's really lovely to be here in a local church um, where I live. And so, as I said, I work for Tear Fund, but that's not all, that's not all of who I am. I, um, so yeah, we've got, so if you go to the next slide, this is, I always, it's always helpful to know who people are, right? I often, when I hear people preach and they're talking about people, so this is my husband, Ed, and this is my little daughter, Avia, who is four. She's just started school this year. My husband works for the home office. And um, together, we've just, as I said, have tried to have an articulation of what does it mean to respond to um, God's mission. And I think over the years for us, it's been something that we've really, it's been, it's, it's been a shifting journey and something that we've really grown into, really understanding what, what, what is God's mission. Um, and particularly being part of Tear Fund, which is a global organization, for me, um, understanding God's mission has really expanded and particularly having a, a biblical understanding of justice. And I think this is something that, for me, I'm really passionate about sharing about because there's something that the church needs to grapple with. What does it mean to be a church that responds to God's mission? And often, um, historically, the church has seen mission as something we go to do. Um, and over the last few years, even the decades, something about God's mission is about something we embody. It's not about what we go and do to people, but it's how we embody God's mission within us as a church and build relationship with. And I say that as somebody who also worked at the Salvation Army, and I don't know if you know much about the Salvation Army, but they are an incredible denomination. And I learned really what it meant to embody um, mission, um, to sit with people. And I remember um, busying myself in the kitchen and trying to do all I could to serve uh, homeless people. We ran a number of different homeless drop-ins. And I remember the Holy Spirit at one point saying to me, why are you busying yourself in the kitchen? I just want you to sit and be with. And it was a real turning point for me because I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying, God, because so often we just want to do kind things to people because we see injustice, we see hurt, and we see bro- brokenness, and we want, to, we want to fix it. But actually what God was saying to me was, I just want you to sit with And that was the start of a whole new journey for me around what does justice actually mean to God. And for me, it's really become justice is about how we learn to sit with people and to sit in our unbrokenness within that. Because we aren't aren't God and we aren't saviors. And I start there because for so often I think the church in a really kind way, mistakenly tries to become a savior to the issues that we see within our community. And so often, actually, our response should just be to sit with and be with people. And so for me, when people ask me, what do you feel God's really called you to in life? I would say, actually, I could, the way that I would explain it now, my overall purpose in life is to, is to reclaim the spiritual discipline of hospitality. Uh, I did my master's um, a few years ago in missional leadership, and I did my dissertation in what does it mean to, for the church, the local church, to reclaim um, the spiritual discipline of hospitality. Because, again, here in the West we've misunderstood hospitality. We see it as inviting our friends around. And why that, that's not wrong, um, actually I would now call that fellowship. 
and not hospitality. Because in the middle class world that we live in, we invite our friends around, and often those people are the people that look like us. They're the people that we feel most comfortable with. They're the people that will say, be our yes and our men. So when we have an injustice in ourselves, they'll be the people that will be like, yes and our men to you. But the moment that you open up your home, and when I mean your home or your table, it's creating spaces of hospitality. Suddenly, when you're having people that are different to you around that table, you're having to sit in an uncomfortable place because it's not a yes and amen anymore. You're having to learn to listen to people's stories that are different to you, people's journeys that are different to you. And so for Ed and I, that has been our journey, is what does it mean to create a, a, a table at which we invite the stranger on into? Um, and, and that's not about us hosting that space. Actually, often it's about learning to facilitate that space and to be the guest in somebody else's story. So I start there as just a little bit of an introduction to who we are and why justice is important to me and why actually hospitality is the route to justice for us as a, as, as a young family. And it's something that we're teaching Avia. Uh, she's only four, but we're always, already teaching her what does it mean to, to um, invite somebody into your, into your table and, to be, and also to learn how to be a good guest at some, and to listen to, to other people's stories. Um, so Revelation 7-9, which is one of my favorite scriptures, says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I love how this, this one... Uh, verse just depicts the kingdom of God. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue is represented in the kingdom of God. And I know for many of us over this last kind of 18 months, it's been a huge whirlwind of a journey of understanding um, a little bit more of God's kingdom and a little bit more of where there has been such injustice in this world and recognizing that God's kingdom isn't about, it's not one dimensional and it's not about one race or one ethnicity, but it's about this, this huge multitude of different people that come together that represent the kingdom of God. So what really excites me so much is seeing the local church. And this is what you're doing. You're grappling with justice, right? And I love this series. When, you, when Jenny told me, I was like, yes, a local church is picking up the mantle and wanting to dig deep into some of the issues of, of um, justice. So we're going to watch a video in a second, just to, uh, which is a video that my team actually produced to help us understand a little bit more about um, the, bi- the biblical justice I was talking about. Before we get there, I think it's really important that as a local church, as Christians, we need to have an understanding on a biblical perspective on poverty. So at Tiffon, we have created this understanding. We've created a, what we call a biblical framework to help us um, understand what is God saying about injustices in this world, inequality uh, and poverty? What is God saying and how do we respond to that? God's inherent nature is good. Yeah? God's inherent nature is good. And I think sometimes it's hard to see it when we see such brokenness in this world. We, we can question that. We're like, ah, oh, ouch. Like we were talking about this earlier. When we're hearing these stories, it can get, it can get confusing. 
um, justice issues are really complex. And I know that my work has shown me that over the years. It's really complex. But coming back to this idea that the inherent nature of God is good. And, it's, and we see this um, throughout Scripture, the meta-narrative of the Bible. We see this wonderful story of God seeking to restore and redeem um, this earth back to its former glory, as we see in Genesis, uh, one to, one, in Genesis 1 to 2, right? We see this wonderful image of, of the creation of this world and God creating man and woman and this wonderful flourishing environment that, that um, they were living within. Um, and then obviously, sadly, we knew in the next chapter on, we see this brokenness, we see the fall, we see sin enter the world. Um, and so I'm going to show this video just to kind of just stop there. So it's just a couple of minutes long. Essentially, the video is just this wonderful, um, uh, lots of lovely imagery talking to us about brokenness and around, um, around God seeking to restore four levels of brokenness. Brokenness with self, brokenness with one another, brokenness with God, and brokenness with creation. So we see God's mission as this wonderful arc of God seeking to restore those four different quadrants um, back to where, where we see Earth, Earth, Earth's original intent, which is flourishing. So I'm sorry, I can't do the lovely animations and graphics that this video shows you, but we can send you the link. Um, we see that there's this fundamental shift of Adam and Eve's relationship with God um, when brokenness entered the world. Um, they were expelled from the garden and shame became an issue. Their original identity as image bearers of God was compromised and therefore left them out of a secure sense of who they were. Poverty takes away human identity uh, in God and changes the, pers the perspective we have of ourselves. The natural harmony between Adam and Eve was broken and injustice has now entered into the world. There was no longer an ease in nature's bounty or fruitfulness. And since the fall, we have had to work really hard with no guarantee of an equal return. Poverty is ultimately a result of social and structural legacy of broken relationships, the four that I was talking about, with God, a distorted understanding of self, unjust relationships between people, and exploitative relationships with the environment. These broken relationships not only affect individuals' lives, decisions, and actions, but also create broken systems leading to problems such as power imbalances and corrupt governments. These uh, these fractures are made worse by conflicts and natural disasters, many of which have also have roots in, in broken relationships between God and humanity and wider creation. So in our broken world, uh, unjust systems and power structures make it easy for us to become complicit in sin uh, and, ex and, in, and in exacerbating poverty, even unwittingly. Our decisions and choices can so easily shore up these systems. Um, theologian Justin Thacker describes this, the systemic aspect of poverty using an, uh, a vivid metaphor. As the strings in one part of a net are strengthened or broken, so the tension in other parts of the net has changed. Collective purchasing decisions in London can impact whether a child in Bangladesh gets to go to school. So how we how we think about our lives here really does have an impact on the world out there. 
We see this um, played out in the start of Exodus. In Exodus 1, um, there's this overview of the Israelites having been in Egypt for generations, flourishing and multiplying. There was a this, there was this uh, part of a welcome they had received through Joseph's encounter with, with Pharaoh. Um, and then I'm just going to take us back, reminding us of that flourishing world that Adam and Eve first entered into that then got broken. Um, and it says this in Exodus 1, 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all their generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This is about God's promise of us being a, a flourishing people. Um, and then it goes, and then it, the story goes on, and, and a new Pharaoh was established who, def, who defined good and evil according to his own interests and not God's interests. He did not value um, an increasing immigrant population in, the, in his land. So we see the story in Exodus, in Exodus begin to unfold a story of brokenness, a story of power, of greed, of destruction. And then we see Israel begin to call out for help against this extreme evil and we, uh, that we're seeing played out. So what I take from Exodus 1, and obviously there's, there's a long story in Exodus, and I'm just, I'm just picking up the first kind of part of Exodus, is, is what I want to take us back is to this vision that we're given. This amazing vision that actually was shared earlier in Revelations 21 when, when um, I'm sorry, I forgot, Amy, was it? Lily um, shared that wonderful vision in Revelations 21 where we, where we understand that actually God's vision for this world is one where there's no death, no crying, no mourning. What a, I mean, sometimes it's hard to imagine that, isn't it? So many of us experience so much brokenness and sadness and grief and poverty or injustice. And so it's hard to imagine a world where these things aren't that. But there's this wonderful thing called, person called the Holy Spirit that comes and inspires us with hope, a hope and gives us revelation about what a flourishing world could look like. Um, and there's this a theologian that talks about the local church, the local church being a sign, instrument and foretaste of the kingdom of God. And this is why I get excited about the, the local church, because the church has the ability to, to bring about and be a witness to this, to this hope, to be salt and light. Um, and we see in Micah 6, 8, don't we, where it says, but he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. And isn't that the truth? I love this, um, I love this version because it's like, that's so true. Don't take ourselves too seriously because I know I do that a lot. I can take myself too seriously and forget, actually, what's God's vision in this? Like, this is about me and, you know, suddenly my, well, you know, I need to fix this, this and this. But actually, going back to what God said, what God's vision for this world is, is a reminder. So I want to share um, just a little bit about this uh, theologian called Lisa Sharon Harper, who's uh, an amazing theologian. She's a black, she's a black female theologian and she started to try and help us have an articulation, particularly for people of colour, as to what is God's kingdom? What is the hope for this world? And she talks about in her book, if we can go to the next slide, because I'll put it up there for you. Uh, it might be, oh no, you can see that. She talks about shalom, the idea of shalom. And shalom has so many different meanings when you take it back to its uh, original meaning, its uh, Hebraic meaning. Um, 
And she, and she talks about shalom being these things. Shalom being what God declared. Shalom is what the kingdom of God looks like. Shalom is when all people have enough. It's when families are healed. It's when churches, schools, and public policies protect human dignity. Shalom is when the image of God is recognized, protected, and cultivated in every single human. Shalom is our calling as followers of Jesus' gospel. It's the vision God set forth in the garden and the restoration God desires for every broken relationship. Shalom is what our soul, our souls long for. Shalom is the very good in the gospel. It's about a whole life response. I know this is you are obviously part of the Anglican communion and you have this wonderful thing called the five marks of mission. And when you look at the five marks of mission, you look at this whole life response to God's to the gospel, to God's mission. And it's, and it's not just about um, saving souls, but it's about beyond that. It's about how do we learn to live here on earth now, bringing down the kingdom of God in all of its glory and all of its hope and bringing God's justice here. And so I, I just urge you, like I often go back to the five marks of mission and, and I often cite it because it's a wonderful way to see the mission of God in a really holistic way. And just reminding us of, of the overarching story of God's mission is one that is, is seeking to restore and redeem this earth. And we do, and as I said, we get this wonderful glimpse in Revelations. I often say that our job is to illuminate, right? It's our job is to illuminate. It's not to save, but it's to illuminate. It's to be the friend. It's to bring light to the injustice that we're seeing. It's not to be silent. Actually, it's to be a megaphone. You know, the church has the ability to be an amazing megaphone to the injustices that we're seeing um, and to shout to governments and say, you know, hey, hey, listen here. We're, we're the people. We see what's going on. We want you to listen and we, we, we demand change. Um, can you put to the next slide, please? Because I want to take you to um, a place where I went to when I was in Brazil. This guy in the middle, um, Pastor Jose, is literally my hero. When I went to Brazil, I went to this church and um, they, I, I call them the church of no walls because quite literally, when you walk up to the church, there are no walls. Literally, you can walk into the church. So you can see there at the back, this, uh, the church, there was no, there's no walls. You, that, that's the church. You just walk in. <laughs> no gates, nothing. And when, but, it's almost like a metaphor for the church because when you go beyond that, that physical space, you begin to have an understanding about this church's mission. And they taught me, they renewed my sense of, my sense of like hope in the local church. And I spent 10 days with them just immersing myself in that church. And I can say they run they embody what I would call integral mission, um, a holistic mission. Um, they run after-school clubs. They um, built a library in their church for children. So in, children in, uh, in Brazil can only go to school for so, for so many hours in a day, either morning or afternoon. So if you are on the on the breadline in Brazil, you then your children, your parents are often, both parents are working, so there's no provision for these children throughout the day like there is here in the UK. Um, and so they built provision for children on either side of the day to come and have meals, to have access to library and education. 
They uh, run micro-enterprises. They run training for young, young people. They have um, uh, psycho, psychosocial therapy um, services within there. They run... Uh, um, and then, for me, what was one of the most wonderful things was a school that they set up called the School of Faith and Politics. Basically, they were drawing young leaders, not young, sorry, leaders, local leaders from different churches from, the, from across Brazil um, into this school and teaching them um, the, this idea. So there's a quote here that says, there comes a point when we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out where they're falling in. This quote by Desmond Tutu was the embodiment of this church because one of the things was that Pastor Jose said to us um, probably on day two or three of us being there he said he goes that there's this saying you can teach a man how to fish um, right we want to, you can teach a man how to fish but one of the things he was saying to us is like well yeah we could do that we can give the equipment and we can teach people how to fish the problem is they don't have access to the fish so what is it that we're doing to help them have access to the fish? So this school was set up in order to help leaders in communities navigate the political systems in Brazil and to tackle the political systems in Brazil. So when we're talking about systemic injustice, we're talking about a church saying, I understand there's an injustice. I'm not just going to teach you how to fish because I understand that beyond that, there is, a, there is an issue of why you don't have access to it and it's your right to have access to it. And so this church set this school up. I literally walked away from this church going, oh my goodness, this is the embodiment of what the local church should be. And they have these satellite churches that are running schools in rural areas, that are running micro-enterprises for women that can't... That, can't get find employment so taking recycled fabrics and then um, recreating them into things and you know you hear these stories don't you we often like right I know probably this church a fair trader right you have like these stalls probably where you're selling like beads or jewelry or bags or something from somewhere these are the kinds of churches that are setting these kinds of um, businesses up for women and men in order that they can, that they can um, help their families survive. So it's creating these wonderful ecosystems where injustice becomes justice served because the church is at the heart of the response. Um, holistic transformation looks at basic needs, basic human rights, and such intangibles as vulnerability, risk, inequality, marginalization, discrimination, exclusion, a feeling of powerlessness, or the limitations of options and choices. And this is what this church did. It understood that. It understood basic human rights. It understood intangibilities like vulnerability and responded to it. And in a few weeks' time, can we go to the next slide, please? In a few weeks' time, leaders from across the globe will gather in Glasgow to meet um, in a meeting that will shape our future. As global temperatures rise, rains are becoming less reliable and droughts, floods and storms are becoming more frequent and extreme. Across much of sub-Saharan Africa, for example, the weather is swinging um, between extreme floods and extreme droughts. That affects food production and is putting millions at risk of hunger. And I know this because, again, I visited a number of um, uh, countries in Africa as part of my job. And we have what's, uh, this program called Church and Community Transformation, which is, our, which is our approach to development. It puts the local church at the heart of the response 
um, to issues of injustice and poverty because we believe, we believe that, again, the local church has the answer, not tear fund. You know, it's not, it's not the West, it's not money that has the answer. It's, it's the local church in the community where the issues are that has the answers. So basically what we do is we, we bring in facilitators, local facilitators, to take people through um, a series of Bible studies. And these Bible studies are about illuminating. They're about bringing um, uh, a revelation about the gifts that we carry within and like I often call it, it's about the gold within. It's about recognizing that we have skills, we have abilities, um, and we have the uh, um, resource to respond to the issues. I have seen um, communities build back their entire, um, entire systems, whether that's health or education, or whether that's uh, responding to water issues, water and sanitation, communities responding to that. Not because Tierfan's giving money, but because simply we've given illumination to God's word and said, you are the answer to your, to your, to your, to your issues. You have, you, have, you have what it takes. We've just come alongside and just said, yeah, come on, we can encourage you and show you. I've seen, a, I, I met a woman who suddenly realized that the sand that she was standing on she could mix that and make bricks and build her own house and then sold bricks to then educate her children. And you're like, yes, all, all because God's word showed her that she has the skills within herself. So um, for those who are already vulnerable, the, the climate change is a threatening, threatening life-threatening emergency that is pushing them further into poverty. So without radical action, climate change will push 132 million more people into poverty this decade. It's those least responsible for the climate crisis who are the most affected. This is a colossal injustice. The church cannot ignore this crisis, which is causing so much suffering to people living in poverty. God calls us to meet their needs in doing so to help build God's kingdom here on earth. Oscar Danladi, the guy in the middle... Uh, runs what's called the Joss, the Joss Green Center in Nigeria. And he shared with us um, how climate change is affecting his city in Plateau State and how he thinks the church should respond. Joss used to be known as the Garden City because of its weather and green spaces. Over the years, things have changed. Many trees have been cut down and water sources run dry. The weather has changed. It's used to be cool and, temper and, and temperate. Now it's harsh. And my, father's, my father is a farm, farmer and his crop yields aren't as good as they used to be and it's impacted his income. As Christians... We need to understand that creation care is a gospel issue and an issue of injustice. The church needs to know that we are all neighbors, that what we do impacts each other. Churches across the world have the potential to hold these, those into power, to account and demand change. So God calls us to illuminate, to illuminate the characteristics of the kingdom of God. Kindness, goodness, peace, justice, equality. Illuminate the injustices and poverties and inequalities and illuminate the hope of the coming kingdom of God. We are called to be light bearers, but too often we've ignored this call because 
we've become comfortable in our own shoes or because, as we shared earlier, the response seems too big or we don't know where our place in it stands. Or because, quite frankly, it doesn't affect us because we don't know the effects because we get to live in this, in this country here where most of our needs are met and um, the climate change doesn't really affect us in, in such a critical way here as it does in other places. But when I want to go back to the start and talk about this table, this, this metaphorical table, as you will, and I'll I'll pose a challenge here. Who sits at your table? How many of them are strangers? And how many of them are different to you? How many of those people that sit at your table have a different story to tell? Because the moment you open your table to the stranger is the moment you open your heart to see the image of God in someone else reflected back to you, a different part of who God is. And for me as a foster carer of teenagers, when I had teenagers sitting at our table, the most profound stories would come out of that table that would change mine and Ed's heart forever. I have, I have never been the same person since fostering teenagers because I suddenly learned what it meant to be a part of God's kingdom and to create a place of inclusion. Not to judge the person sitting in front of me because they were different to me or their values didn't align or there was something that felt uncomfortable about what they were saying or their life choices or whatever it was or because they were a different color to me or all of those things. The things that jar us because they're, because they're, not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not mirroring us. Those are the places that we need to be more and more as the church because those are the places that we'll get to learn about God's character more. We'll get, we'll, our hearts will expand more. Our understanding of who God will expand more. It's not in the people that look like us that we will get, of course we'll get to see that there, but there's a limitation to that. And so I urge us as the local church, as a local body of believers to start opening our table up, to stop inviting just our friends around and to start inviting around people that we don't know, people that will tell a different story, people that will help expand our understanding of this world. We all have our role to play in whatever place we find ourselves. This is the call to God's mission, to partner with God on God's mission to redeem, restore, and renew this earth. So I'm just going to leave it here. So often people say to me, well, Heidi, it's easy for you because you work for a charity, so you get to respond to issues of justice. And yes, that is true. I've given my whole life over to to charity. But that's, that's because that's where I'm where God's best placed me. And one of those things is God has asked me to speak to the local church, to be a prophetic voice to the local church, to help the local church have an articulation of what it means to respond to issues of injustice, of inequality and poverty in this world. And I love that. That's my job. But that's my specific calling. But I also get to speak to lawyers. I get to speak to business people. I get to, like my husband in the home office, I get to speak to people of all different spheres of life. And I say, Where you are is where God has got you and you get to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God right there and then. You do not need to work for a charity to be part of God's mission. Where you are, you are part of a system. 
You are part of a process. You are part of a bigger structure that you get to bring the challenge in your workplace or in your home environment. So don't, please don't look to vicars or pastors or charity workers and say, well, that's their job. No, because we're all part of one world and we're all part of God's story. We're all part of God's mission. And where your place, I'd ask you to just ask God, what is it that I can do in this place, in this place, in this time, in this season to be part of bringing about your justice here on earth? And I'm telling you, friends, that there are things that you can do in your workplace um, a part, as, like, as part of your co- corporate social responsibility. If, you're, if your workplace hasn't got that, incite it. Bring it in. Ask, ask your leaders of your organization, where's our corporate social responsibility? What are we doing as a business to serve the local needs of people in our community? It's one thing that I used to do at the Salvation Army is work in that agenda, is, is helping businesses understand how they could respond to issues of injustice or helping your business become more um, eco-friendly because the, what you can do within that space can help change an entire system of attitudes on how we respond to the environment and to creation and therefore understanding God's love for creation. And so maybe I can invite the worship team up because I'm going to share a wonderful um, blessing over us um, as believers. Um, there will be a lot of what you share today. And actually, today isn't about being comfortable because I'm not here to, be, to help you be comfortable. I'm here to, be, to bring a prophetic voice and to bring the challenge about how do we create those spaces of deep, profound, wonderful spaces of hospitality. How do we reclaim that gift? How do we reclaim that practice? Because it is a practice. You know we call them spiritual disciplines, right? Because they're not easy. They take time and, and, and they take a lot of energy, but ultimately they change us and they shift us and they give us greater perspective of who God is and, and, and God's kingdom. So how do we become illuminators in this world? How do we bring light? How do we be light? And how do we be better friends and build better spaces for relationship so there's this franciscan franciscan blessing which is up here on here on there so you might want to um uh read it or um uh um talk it with through with me but i'm gonna speak this over us may god bless you with discomfort at easy answers half truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen and amen. God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you. (laughs) And may you become illuminators in the most magnificent way, bringing God's kingdom here on earth. And may this week you have fresh revelation of God's heart for your community that you live in, not just here locally, but globally. And may God show you how you can be a part of bringing change in this world. Amen.